0: 1 uh, First Corinthians, 1 First Corinthians, chapter seven. We're going to watch a, a brief video in just a moment, but let me uh, introduce our our passage and and remind us of kind of where we are. We're working through a sermon series in this book of of 1 Corinthians, this letter written by the early church leader, the apostle Paul, uh, under the inspiration of of God's uh, Holy Spirit, to the church in the Greek city of Corinth. A very prosperous uh, city, but also a city where there was uh, much depravity and much need for the gospel, kind of like our own. And he preaches about uh, to them or writes to them, I should say, about uh, matters that are relevant for them, certainly, but also relevant for us right up to today. And this particular section that we have moved into now, if you weren't here last week, we kind of made the transition, is a section where the Apostle Paul is answering questions. That it appears those early believers were asking of him about various matters, apparently about matters of marriage and singleness and uh, sexuality and so forth. And then also we'll see later in the book matters of spiritual gifts, matters of the Lord's Supper and how what it means and how we should participate in it. uh, Matters of financial giving, all sorts of things that are going to be covered here. Very uh, relevant, not only to the folks in, in that time, but to us today. And I'll say this, the uh, title that's in your worship guide is a little bit misleading. I meant to change that. It's, It's really about freedom and contentment in the gospel. And it's about all sorts of areas of life, not just marriage and singleness that we see in the verses today. So I apologize for that and also a bit for a cold I'm fighting off. We'll see how this lozenge works for me and see how we make through our time together today. But as I read aloud to you these verses in a minute... Uh, Specifically, we see Paul reminding us in this section that uh, whatever the situation that the Corinthians find themselves in and whatever situation we find ourselves in in this world, that we can have contentment in God's kingdom because we are children of the king. Okay, so have that thought in mind as you read along with me silently as I read aloud first Corinthians and we're going to start. Uh, chapter 7 in verse 17 only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised let him not seek circumcision for neither circumcision nor accounts, for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no commandment from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, uh, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I'll remind us here that there's a context of a famine that seems to be going on in Corinth or waves of famine and People literally can't necessarily find food and don't know how long they're going to live. So we want to kind of keep that in the background as you read along with me. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Let those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Let those who buy as though they had no goods. Let those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. The present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord and then lastly if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed if his passions are strong and it has to be let him do as he wishes let them marry it is no sin but who but whoever is firmly established in his heart being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed he will do well so then he who marries his betrothed does well, he who remains, refrains from marriage, will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we ask that you would guide and direct us through This your word and this particular part of it for our growth in you and our understanding of how to respond to the gospel and your holiness and to walk with you in faithfulness. Help us to that end. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, in a moment, as I um, show this video and maybe I can uh, sort of step to the side so y'all can go ahead and start getting things in, in motion. I know that takes a second. I want to say this, I'm I'm always kind of leery about uh, overemphasis on sports for uh, spiritual purposes. We live in a culture that loves athletes and loves uh, coaches, and we tend to kind of put them on a pedestal uh, occasionally to validate our faith. Uh, Paul reminds us early in 1 Corinthians that the believers there were kind of many of them from the lowly people. They weren't the folks that were the powerful or the wealthy or that were the famous or that were the, the significant folks. And, uh, and so I'll just keep us in mind that we, we don't need athletes or coaches or famous folks to affirm our faith or substantiate it. It's perfectly good just because it's from the Lord and because it's his salvation. That being said, so with that little caveat uh, the words you're going to hear Mark Rick share, which maybe are particularly pertinent after the result yesterday. I'm not sure I could have showed this video if things would have turned out differently. But, uh, the manner in which he chooses to share them, the setting he chooses in which to share them with, uh, one of the South's foremost, uh, sports analysts. It's pretty powerful as it relates to, to our passage today. And I want you to listen in particular. What Rick is saying And he's no perfect guy. He would readily acknowledge that. But listen to what he says about contentment, about purpose in Christ, and even about a a simple story he shares about how that played out with his own father. And then lastly, how the one he's speaking to takes notice of those simple and content things. So let's go ahead and play it if we can.
1: Same, and I mean you. You, you seem—I I don't want to act like I, I know any more than the next person who has encountered you, but you don't seem like—and this stuff really yeah. gets through to you—that that, you—you're yeah. grounded. You know what you're about. You know who you are.
2: Well, first of all, um, this job's way too big for one man to do. Obviously, there, there's so many people that deserve credit when things go well, and uh, you know, I, I take more enjoyment out of watching players succeed, watching assistant coaches succeed. And uh, I mean, I don't, I don't care who gets the credit. I'm not looking for credit. I'm just, I'm really looking to be obedient to my Lord and Savior on a daily basis. That's kind of my goal, and that's kind of how I've been operating since 1986.
1: That that would leave me with almost nothing to follow up okay. because it's, 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 it's such a remarkable statement. I've told you this before, uh, and I'll say it one more time because uh, I, in full disclosure, didn't completely understand your methods it's easy to sit in the peanut gallery and to take shots which we all well some of us on this side do but I heard you speak uh, one morning about five or six years ago and, uh, and you gave your testimony and I, I will tell you I you can lose every game from now on it won't make any difference to I me mean, you you affected me in a way that I didn't uh, ever expect to be affected it was it was, it was remarkable uh, and I know you've, you've helped a lot of people in that regard
2: God bless. Can I tell a story real quick? it too late. We have all the time in the world. All right. A man yesterday walking into the Buttsmere building, our football complex, found a $100 bill. He gave it to our receptionist. And then the receptionist uh, held the money in case this person who lost it would come back. The man came back, got his $100 bill, and it reminded me of Proverbs 20, verse 7, which said, A righteous man who walks in his integrity blesses his children after him. Well, that man was my dad who came to the office. And I just want to publicly say, Dad, I love you and thank you for your integrity and how you bless me. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank
1: you. Mark, what a pleasure. Appreciate it. We'll take a break. We're live in Athens. We'll be right back.
0: Our passage deals with contentment. And if you want to follow along in the sermon notes section in your worship guide towards the back, you'll see this main idea that I I think Rick kind of highlights uh, for us. That's this, that since God has made us sons, children of the king, we should seek contentment in the kingdom, whatever our place may be in this world. You look with me at verse 17 of our passage today. It's interesting. It says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which he's been called. All right? We saw it with Rick. He's got a particular position. He said, really, I'm just trying to be faithful to the Lord in the calling that I've got. And I've got these other people around me and they've got their job and responsibilities and we're all just trying to trying to do what we should do. And he in particular saying Trying to walk in faithfulness to the Lord. Now, when we read a statement like that, if we're a bit uh, skeptical and questioning, we we might say we might object to it from a couple of different perspectives. One would be, uh, does this promote a sort of uh, fatalism? Right. That just whatever is, is whatever is going to be. And however bad it's going to be, it's just let's just let it be that way. Right. A sort of ambivalence, apathy, maybe we would call it. Uh, does it promote that? We're going to see in a minute that can't be the case with a couple of verses, but that's a question that might come to our mind. Does it promote a sort of laziness, right? A failure to actually pursue some other goals that might be available to us. That promotion at work or our kids to improve in their schooling or growth in our character or whatever issue we want to highlight that might be a question. Mention slavery and freedom here, another question we could ask and the church certainly throughout the centuries has asked is does this uh, condone or promote some forms of oppression, right? People being stuck in situations that are not good, not beneficial for them and others being comfortable with that. There's some big questions certainly that can be raised by that. It seems Though the Apostles Paul intent is probably a little bit more specific and he answers those questions as we go along. He he says, though, first we should note in First Timothy, chapter six, verse six, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. So for Paul, there there is an aspiration to life. There is a gain that's to be sought, and that is godliness with contentment. That actually is a goal, something to seek after. It's not something we sort of just passively absorb. And I'll remind you that the Apostle Paul, he was no slouch. He didn't sit back on his hands. He had a teeny tiny little goal of giving every ounce of his life to see the gospel extended to the known world in the time of his life. That was his goal. So he was a person that was driven for the Lord but nevertheless, reminds us of the beauty of contentment. First, John, you don't need to turn there, but I think it's relevant. So we'll get a few few of these other scriptures in mind and then we'll kind of plow through our our passage for today. First, John is found all the way back at the back of the New Testament, starting at verse 15 of chapter two. Says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world. The love of the father is not in him for all that's in the world. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The Apostle John there writing essentially about these matters and reminding us to have an eternal perspective. That indeed we may find ourselves in situations in this life that uh, we, we maybe can't work our way out of. And there may be situations even of difficulty, but that there is a eternal life that is coming before us. And that it matters how we seek the Lord in the midst of the situations we are facing now. I put it, I think, before this way, you know, there's a saying in our in our world, I guess, that. So-and-so is so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. We've heard that saying. He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. And we've probably met a few people that are the reason that (laughs) phrase exists, that seem to be so pie in the sky, maybe even with good spiritual stuff, that don't seem to be able to relate that to -to day-to-day life and reality. But I'd say most of us are probably... On the other side, right, we're in this boat that we would do well to be much more heavenly minded so that we could be of greater earthly good in the kingdom of God. And that's kind of those those overarching concepts, I think, are informing what the Apostle Paul is saying here as he walks us through some specific issues. This circumcision, uncircumcision, which might be a little confusing for us. The slavery and freedom one that probably makes a little more sense. And then the marriage and singleness one that probably uh, is, you know, is probably most easy for us to to understand. So let's take a look here again. What is the Apostle Paul saying? About us being sons of the king and finding contentment in the kingdom, regardless of our situation or status in this world. Look with me at verses 18 and 19. That anyone at the time of his call already circumcised... Uh, Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I don't know what that would involve, but uh, I guess somebody must have been trying to do this if it was brought up. Was anyone at the time uh, of the call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. All right. So what's the deal here? Is this really about the physical uh, situation? No. These uh, physical manifestations, if you will, represented... Uh, Spiritual ones represented heritage, culture, background that you were coming from. So we ought to read this, not about the uh, circumcision, but about where are you coming from? What's your background spiritually? Specifically in the early church, one of the biggest contrasts was between those who were from the Hebrew background and had come and and been raised in that tradition, had had the benefit and blessing of knowing the Old Testament word of God had been in and among the covenant people of God and therefore had a status because of that as the church was being formed. Okay. Okay. And, and, and you have you have folks even in our own church that are coming from an, an ethnic or lineage that's that's from the Hebrew background and are coming to know Christ. So we even you know, have that today in the church. It was certainly happening uh, in many ways in the early church because the apostle Paul would go to the synagogues in whatever city he was in. And he'd start with those that were at least generally familiar with who God was and that God had a redemptive plan and try to explain to them the Messiah, the one that has come. But uh, and he would find reception among among many there. But often there was rejection as well. And we know he would go to the Gentiles, the folks that were uh, the uncircumcised from outside of the covenant people of God. And then often many of those folks, even though their background was pagan and so forth, maybe had no understanding of, of spiritual matters, really would come and receive and know Christ. The reminder here is this, that basically it doesn't matter what our background is. It doesn't matter where we come from. And the Apostle Paul doesn't dismiss those things as if they're unimportant. He says elsewhere he seeks to be a Jew to Jew and a Greek to Greek. So he puts himself in those settings where he can to try to reach people, to connect with people for Christ. So it's not like it's unimportant or totally irrelevant. The fact is that it falls secondary to who Christ is. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 says there's uh, neither Jew nor Greek. Slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in christ that 's what the apostles paul paul 's message is here he 's saying, we ought to see the beauty of the connectivity instead of those things that we think divide us or make us lesser from our spiritual heritage. Maybe you're kind of new to the faith and you don't have much knowledge or whatever. And the other people around here seem like they do and you feel a little bit inferior. And the, the Lord Jesus said, if you have Christ in your life, you should be encouraged. You should be welcomed into the body of Christ. Maybe some of us have been around a block and we grew up at uh, our little Sunday school and had all this stuff. We we're kind of maybe like those Hebrew folks that had a lot of background, a lot of heritage in it. And the Apostle Paul says, well, that's great, but it's about who we are in Christ today. Not about... That lineage or that background and about loving one another and being connected in Christ, being content with who we are. The Apostle Paul speaks to those matters for us and reminds us of them. He also goes into this matter of slavery and, and freedom. If you take a look with me, uh, starting back in our, our passage in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 20. So each of you should remain in the condition to which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity for he. And here, here's the here's the big part here's the main part for he who is called in the Lord is a slave as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called is a slave of Christ. You're bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. All right. Let's unpack this a little bit. All right, we live in a particular uh, place in a particular time in human history. Absolutely, this passage has been used to defend in Europe and in America the practice of slavery. You know, it was, it was used for those reasons. Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying right there that someone who's in a situation of slavery should try to seek to gain their freedom if they. Can. So we know that passage has been kind of used that way. We probably know some of that history that even in the time of the American uh, Revolution, uh, Baptists and Methodists, for instance, and Presbyterians too, are spreading west out on the frontier in America, and the gospel's kind of flourishing. And at the time, uh, most folks, the culture at large, remember around 1800, you look at the Baptists, and the Baptists are about 3% of the South. Okay? And so, very quickly, that movement of the gospel spread. Baptist Methodists, particularly, were saying, "You know, we're all one in Christ. So, what are we going to do about this slavery thing?" And for a while, they really pushed back. And eventually, they, for the most part, compromised. The Presbyterians probably don't even have that good of a record, and sometimes use that sovereignty of God. God's chosen purposes in our life to even substantiate some of these things. So we kind of know that history. We also probably are are aware or should be that the, the gospel, in fact, is incredibly liberating In places it's been used to support some forms of oppression. But but really, it's, it's only in the West and in the Euro, Europe and America where we've really seen any progress of pushing back slavery. All over the world today, there's slavery going on. And all throughout human history, there's slavery going on. So we see that the gospel has probably been used in, in various ways across time and space. I think it's interesting that the progress that we can perhaps pray for, and seek to see even in our own time on some of those racial matters. I mean, that brings up the racial issue. The, the uh, By Faith magazine is a wonderful article this, uh, this particular quarter on the kind of changes we're seeing even in our own church circles as folks from Asian backgrounds, folks, folks from Hispanic backgrounds, African-American backgrounds are coming into, you know, what has been a, a uh, largely uh, Anglo denomination and seeing the beauty of God's kingdom lived out that way. And so those matters are are in the background, certainly here in these verses and and hope for for better things for the future for all of us on on those matters. But let me put it this way. Uh, One of the most famous stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph from Genesis. And it's probably a good place to kind of pause and think about, because if you think about a person, I guess we could put Job in there, too. Maybe there'd be some others, but let Joseph's, you know. A pretty big one to think about in terms of contentment and pursuit of the things of God. Do you remember the story of Joseph? He had, you know, he was one of those uh, 12 brothers all the way back in the book of Genesis. And he, he was kind of... Uh, Excited, I guess you'd say, about his sense of what God's purpose was in his life and even had these dreams that he was going to be uh, sort of reigning over his brothers and his brothers just loved to hear that, right? (laughs) They just really enjoyed hearing about how great Joseph was going to be and how lowly they were going to be. The position, the role, the status that they were going to have. So anyway, we uh, know that Joseph was honored with this special jacket and whatnot. That was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. The brothers uh, had him sold into slavery uh, to get rid of him, which is just, you know, you say, goodness, what's the Bible about? Is the Bible about real life? It seems uh, removed. A bunch of brothers selling their own brother. That's pretty real life. You want to talk about dysfunctional family? That's dysfunctional family. So Joseph is sold off, and we, we won't go through the whole story, but he spends part of his time in slavery. He's a slave. That's, that's what he is doing. And he's seeking to trust God through that. He even has opportunities. You know, he gets freed and then he ends up back, he ends up in prison and so forth. By the end of the story, he's the right hand person to the greatest power at the time. Uh, the leader of Egypt, the, the, the Pharaoh. That's that's his role. Uh, this is a person that's seen the lowest of the lows and is now at the highest of the highs. And eventually at the end, his brothers come. There's a big revelation of who he is. They didn't even know he was still alive. There's forgiveness. There's reconciliation. How does that happen? It happens because Joseph of what Joseph says in, in Genesis. He says what God meant for or what man meant for evil. God intended for good. He was able to put together God's sovereignty and God's plans for him and a posture of contentment in who Lord was Now. He tried to do his best in every role he had. He tried to get out of the situations that he didn't want to be in. So he wasn't fatalistic about it, but he knew that God was at work in the midst of us. It's a powerful story. And it's a reminder for us today, uh, as the Apostle Paul says here, he says, uh, let the, the free person not forget that they're a slave. All right, let's let's map this onto our work environments. OK, to, to to bring it down a little bit, a lot of us here in your your work setting, probably have a dual role. You have somebody that you report to, that you are, let's call you a slave, (laughs) a slave to, and you have folks that report to you, that you give direction to, that are workers under you. And I think it's a powerful application of this passage to think about that. To have those who are the bosses among us or when we're in the role of the boss to remember that we are, in fact, slaves of Christ, that we submit to a higher power to one who is above us. I think that's a little bit of Rick was talking about with his assistant coaches and his players and recognizing his role and their role. And likewise. When we're in that role of of a worker and we're having to submit to someone above us, giving us direction and leadership, uh, diligent contentment uh, is is uh, is the way that the Lord would have us to go. And we can seek whatever promotion we can seek to advance our situation. But ultimately, those things are in the Lord's hands. Sovereignty, contentment brought together for our blessing. Let's uh Let's try to illustrate this just a little bit and then we'll see if we can land this plane. I probably shared this story a few years ago, but it was an interesting tale I heard of a a couple of parents, mom and dad, who had twins. And they had one child who was one of the twins that had a a little bit more of a glasses half full perspective on life and another child that had glasses half empty, had the uh, positive child and the pessimistic child, and they decided they were both twins, so they thought, "Let's do a little experiment at Christmas time." They told the children, "Your your, your gifts are up in your, your each of your rooms. You can each go to your room and, and find your gifts." And they had placed in the room of the more pessimistic, more negative, discontent child a uh, a, a wonderful new bike and a fantastic action figures. And all kinds of neat, you know, board games and things to, to play with. And they had put in the room of the more positive, more con- contented child a, a box of manure right in the middle of the floor. They went upstairs to see how their experiment was going on Christmas morning. And uh, and, and her, they listened at the door and the more discontent child was in there and they could hear the child, you know, Man, these action figures, their arms don't work the way they're supposed to. I wish they, why don't they blast this way? And, oh, my goodness, this bike, it's not quite the color I want. It's not as bright as uh, the color I really wanted. They were kind of discouraged when they heard that. And then they walked down the hallway a little further and they listened to the door of the more, you know, positive, more contented child. And they, they actually kind of peeked around and saw that the child was sitting in the middle of the, the box of manure, and throwing the manure up in the air and rubbing it on their face and just kind of frolicking in it. And they were like, whoa, this is, this is a little weird. And they, they, they listened, though, and they heard what the child was saying. The child was saying, where this, there's this much manure, there's got to be a pony somewhere. Perspective, right? Perspective affects a lot. If you see sovereignty and we're seeking contentment, radically change. Even the bad stuff that God dishes out to us in our lives. Certainly whatever situation we're in leads us to our last point. And uh, and we won't have time to unpack all of this. There's a lot of complexity in here probably. But you'll get the main idea. Marriage and singleness in the last part here. And I realize we've got folks here that are uh, divorced in our church uh, family. We've got uh, and are therefore uh, single. We have folks that are widowed. Uh, We have people that are single and not, you know, uh, not yet been married. We have young folks that maybe are preparing and looking ahead towards uh, towards marriage. So let me let me say a few words about this passage and you can break it really into three sections. In the first couple of verses there, 25 down through uh, 31, we see the the apostle talking about really being in the world and not of it. Really holding the things of life, uh, of this life loosely. Look, look at verse 29 in particular. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. All right. Now, we don't... It is, it's clear the Apostle Paul here is probably making some references here to this famine situation in, in Corinth that it was affecting them. And so there was some urgency to trying to figure out these decisions. People don't know actually whether they're going to have food and live. So they don't know whether to get married or not get married. But he's also clearly using that as a platform to talk about the larger scenario of the fact that we live between the time when Jesus has been resurrected and when he's going to come back. And we don't know when that moment will happen. Those are called the end times. We're in it right now. And it's uh, the apostle Paul is saying is is short in the whole scheme of things. So he says this time is going short from now on. Let those who have wives live as though they have none. Now, we already know he hasn't advocated sort of divorce or just get rid of your marriage. So so what does he mean here? Let's read on. We'll get it. Those who mourn. As though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings. For the present form of the world is passing away. What is he saying? Don't hold these things too tightly. Hold all things loosely. Even the very valuable things, hold them loosely. Because what? Because the kingdom of God is the big picture. That's the main thing. Let me put this together for us. I have a friend uh, lives out of out of state and uh, he he has a difficult marriage and he would be the first to acknowledge that. Especially in the early years of their marriage, although there was no there's been no physical infidelity on the part of either one that he uh, made choices in the way he treated his wife and in the ways he maybe didn't pursue her and so forth or love her as as he should, that that uh, he's he he owns his part of the problem. Let's put it that way. He knows he's part of the part of the issue. At the same time, uh, presently, he's trying to he is trying to pursue his wife. He's trying to kind of woo her back into to, to a loving relationship. Neither one of them is, uh, what I can tell, plan, planning to get divorced and, and so forth. But, but there's not much happiness. There's not much joy. There's not much real relationship. And, and his wife, one can understand, there's been a lot of water under the bridge. And uh, even though he's got a plan right now for kind of trying to pursue her and woo her back, she's pretty reluctant a pretty slow process. And you can kind of sit as outside observers and friends. You know, we're real good at, you know, armchair quarterbacking other people's relationships and problems. So you can stand outside of it and say, gosh, why don't y'all just get over this, you know? <laughs> Got to move on. Uh, be happy. You, you, there's only so much time. But it's interesting. In the midst of that, and, and, and maybe that will happen for them, I don't know, I hope soon. In the midst of that, my buddy said this. He said, you know what? I, I'm, I can't change her heart. God's got to do that work. All I can do is pray for it. He said, I'm, I'm in this commit situation. I'm committed to it. He said, in this situation, I'm just going to pray that I would be reminded that the Lord is enough for me. The Lord is enough to st- sustain me in this situation. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk here in these verses about, uh, you know, temptation. Uh, young folks I know uh, maybe, maybe some of the uh, Parents of the, the high school and college folks In here hopefully the last couple of weeks Have been encouraged Thank you pastor for speaking about some of these uh, Sexual temptation issues Reminding our young ones of purity and so forth Well, You might want to shoot me when we walk out of here today Because the apostle Paul also says something interesting He says you know If you're in a relationship And you're connecting with somebody Betrothed he talks about it, And you love one another And you have desires for one another You ought to go ahead and get married You ought to go ahead and get married, is what he's saying. Now, you ought to do that with wisdom and counsel and make sure you're making a good decision. But there's nothing wrong with that. And to say kind of indefinitely that you should stay apart when you're subject to falling into temptation, that that's a really dangerous thing, too. He's reminding us in all places that we should be content in the Lord, but we should also recognize those circumstances he's placed us in. I like what uh, one of my mentors said. This would be my last thought. He just had a simple saying He said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. And I don't do a great job of that. I wish I did a better job. But I think that's part of what the Apostle Paul is saying, too. Whatever situation we're in, wherever God has placed us relationally with one another, marriage-wise, singleness, our work situation or slavery or freedom or whatever, even something as dramatic as that, if it's true for slavery and freedom... How much more true does it have to be for us who voluntarily are employed at our workplace, right? That we ought to seek to find contentment because we know God's sovereign. We know he's walking through us, through this with us, that we hold these things loosely because his kingdom is at work. His kingdom is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the call in the scriptures. To. walk with you in contentment, recognizing you're loving and you are sovereign. And we pray, Lord, that you would allow us to apply this more and more to those places in our life where we're discontent and ask that you would help us to have peace that comes from you, Lord, and that we would continue to be propelled to glorify you in this world and to pursue that diligently, but that we'd be ready to recognize at every turn. That uh, you are the one who is working out all things. You are the one who are in, who is in control. Father, we pray that you'd help us to see these things for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.